Hi, this is David Flower, senior pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah. It's about in the middle of your Bible there in the Old Testament, the prophet Isaiah. We'll look at chapter 55. I'm going to read verses 6 through 9, Isaiah 55, 6 through 9. And if you would, stand with me in the reading of the Scriptures this morning. These verses are our theme verses for our Lent series. Seek the Lord while you can find Him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to our God, for he will forgive generously. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord, and my ways are far beyond anything you could imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Here in this passage in Isaiah, God was speaking to his people in captivity whose life was hard and their future was uncertain. And if they were going to have a future, they would need to return to God and to trust Him. Uh, not trust in, the, in their neighbors or forming allies or getting bigger weapons or trusting in idols or anything like that, but to return to God, to repent, to believe, to trust in the Lord. They would need to understand that God's ways, as we see here in Isaiah, are higher and they are better. They are not like our ways. So what are those ways like? As we look at that passage in Isaiah, as we think about our Lenten series, Seeking God's Ways, what, what does that look like? What does that mean? Well, as followers of Jesus, we believe that we see them most definitively in Christ, the one who has revealed the Father and shows us what God is like and what God has always been like. And while we can certainly see God's higher ways throughout the Old Testament, and we'll point that out along the way through this series, it's Jesus in the Gospels who brings the higher ways of God into sharp focus for us, allowing us to see them most clearly 
when we go back and read in the Old Testament. For example, we see what God is like and how he operates in Jesus through his temptations, which we focus on in the season of Lent, but also in his life, in his teachings, and in how he gave his life to defeat sin and death. That's what our Lenten series, as I said, Seeking God's Ways is all about. Over the next six weeks, we're going to be exploring the higher ways of God in preparation for Easter Sunday. Here's a brief snapshot and overview of the series. I'll only show this once, but just want you to know this is where we're going. Uh, this morning, we're going to look at moving from security to generosity as a higher way of God. Is what it looks like when we embody the way of the Lord. We move from security to generosity. And then we'll look at moving from fear to compassion, from earning to receiving, from exceptionalism to inclusion, from scarcity to abundance, and from power over to power under with and for. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask that he would bless this series. Father, your ways are higher. Your thoughts are better. And we recognize that our ways and our thoughts often get in the way from us understanding who you are and what you want for us. Lord, in our flesh we have uh, uh, welling up within us resistance to your ways. So Lord, we come to this series with open and humble hearts and we say that we are your servants. Lord, we submit ourselves to you. Teach us. Holy Spirit within us, say yes and amen to those things that are of the kingdom. And give us the power to repent of and to resist the things that are not. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, amen. So let's begin seeking the higher ways of God together. As I said, from security to generosity. That's what we're looking at this morning. This first message, I'd like us to reflect on how Jesus reveals a generous God and how in the gospel we are being invited to move from prioritizing our own security to living with generosity toward our neighbors and our enemies. And that's subversive. I mean, even as we did the responsive prayer this morning, we pray not only for Ukraine, but we pray for Russians. Folks, that is subversive, right? We pray for them. We pray for ourselves because Lord knows our own country isn't above some of the things that we are seeing. We've been a part of the same stuff. This, is, this may be disappointing to some of you who put your faith and trust in the kingdoms of the world. But for us who pledge our allegiance to King Jesus and know we have a much better country, as the author of Hebrews said, and a much better uh, uh, kingdom, we say, yes, of course, Jesus said this is what would happen. There will be wars and rumors of wars. And he said that the kingdoms of the world are not like the kingdom of God. If it were, his followers would fight to protect him. Right? I was thinking about that this morning in worship. It, Jesus said that he could call on legions and armies of angels if he wanted to. But he didn't. Because it's a different kind of kingdom. 
It's a kingdom that calls us to love our neighbors and love our enemies. Amen? Amen. And that's by repenting of our self-centered security concerns and believing in the generosity of God that we return to him and experience his life in us, just as Jesus did. To help us see that, let's look at a few different passages, and we'll begin with Luke chapter 4, one of the lectionary texts for us here in Lent. Luke chapter 4, verse 1 through 4. You can look at that in your Bible if you want, or just follow along on the screen here. Verse 1. Luke tells us, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, this is after he was baptized, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. So Jesus has for about 30 years lived an obscure life, right? He's grown in wisdom and stature and favor with God and men. Luke told us that. But then he comes onto the scene when his cousin John the Baptist is baptizing folks, calling people to repentance, saying the kingdom is coming, Messiah is coming, get ready, prepare the way for the Lord because God's about to do something new. And here comes Yeshua of Nazareth, steps into the waters of the Jordan, is baptized. Uh, the gospel writers tell us that the Holy Spirit comes upon Jesus like a dove. And then Jesus comes up out of the water and heads straight for the Judean desert. Why? Jesus is about to be tested. We talked about that some weeks back, about tests and trials. To see, is Jesus going to submit to his Father? Is he going to trust in God's power and God's wisdom? Or will he do his own thing? Will he be the Messiah and the sort of Messiah God the Father wants him to be? Or will he be the Messiah that everybody wants him to be on the earth? And we know the choice that Jesus makes. So the Spirit is leading him into the wilderness to be tested. Verse 2, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. So to quicken his spirit, he is fasting from food. He's relying upon the strength of God. If we were Jewish readers, we read this, and certainly if we're Gentile readers too, and we're knowledgeable of the Old Testament, we come to this place of 40 days. We think of 40, right, in the Bible. We might think of 40 years in the wilderness that Israel spent wandering around. So the gospel writers want us to know that Jesus sees himself. His own self-understanding is that he's the Holy One sent by God to embody the life of Israel. That's what he's going to do. And he's going to do what Israel couldn't do for themselves. Jesus is embodying Israel. He's embodying Israel's story. And of course, what happens on the other side of wilderness? Well, first we have the exodus and then into the wilderness and then into the promised land. And notice, it's not God who tempts Jesus, just like it's not God who tempts you. And surely God may allow tests and trials to come, but it's always for our good to see that our faith is deepened, our trust is placed only in the Lord, that we have a, a greater understanding of Him and a deeper reliance upon His Spirit, following His way, His higher ways, and not our own. So Jesus is alone, Jesus is fasting, the temptations come. Probably not in a physical presence, but Satan came to Jesus much like he comes to our own in Jesus' head. Jesus will be tempted in three specific ways. Here we see with the bread, but also on the mountaintop as the, the enemy shows him all the kingdoms of the world, says these can be yours if you just bow down and worship me, and then in the temple. 
He's, he's tempted to throw himself down, prove it. He's, he's sent from God. He has miraculous power. So some scholars would say there's one way to look at this. We have the economic temptation, the political temptation, and the religious temptation. But what I want us to think about, look at verse 3, is this one specific temptation here this morning as we think about what it means not to live out of our own security concerns, but to follow and worship a God who is generous and who calls us to be generous as well. Verse 3, the devil said to him in this first temptation, if you are the son of God. Now, where did he get that idea? Well, remember, dove onto Jesus, out of the water, He's the son of God, so it seems. So the enemy comes to test Jesus' baptism. Much like he comes to us and tests our baptism. Are you going to be true to God or are you going to be true to yourself? We got plenty of people that want you to be true to yourself today. Folks, yourself is broken. Jeremiah says your heart is deceitfully wicked. Who can know it? Don't trust in yourself. If you want to know your true self, you got to go through the Lord. And listen to what the Lord says about who we are. This is what Jesus is going to do. So the enemy says, if you are the son of God, doubting Jesus' identity here, who am I? Tell this stone to become bread. Now this is obvious. Jesus is hungry. There are stones there. Make them turn to bread and feed yourself. But think about the deeper meaning here. This temptation is about whether Jesus trusts God to provide. But it also is about whether he will use his power and live his life to satisfy himself, to put himself first. Would he secure some food for himself or keep trusting God? But yet there's still an even deeper meaning. Look at Jesus' response in verse 4. This is how Jesus responds to the temptations. He does this each time he responds with Scripture. Jesus answered, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone. You see, Jesus is so full of the Scripture, and certainly because they were an oral culture, they had to memorize a great deal of the Scripture, Jesus uses Scripture to combat the evil one, to resist the temptation. He responds by quoting Deuteronomy 8.3. If you flip over to Deuteronomy in the Old Testament, look at chapter 8, verse 3. This is what you would read. It says, God humbled you, causing you, Israel, to hunger, and then feeding you with manna. What is it? Exactly. That's what the word means, manna. What is it? This is what they asked when they woke up in the morning and there was bread from heaven lying on the ground. They'd never seen anything like it, but it was God's provision. It wasn't the best tasting stuff in the world, but God provided and he sustained them. That verse goes on, Deuteronomy 8, 3, which neither you nor your ancestors had known about to teach you that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Don't trust the provision, trust the provider. That wasn't in my notes. Maybe that was from the Lord. Don't trust your provision, trust in the provider. Amen? And this is what God is calling us to do. Now, if you remember the story and the manna from heaven, uh, how much did they get? Just enough for the day. If they tried to accumulate that stuff and hoard it and put it in baskets and save it away for a rainy day, what would happen? The next morning, they'd open it up and they would see it was full of maggots. It had turned bad that quickly. And so God is trying to teach us that this is what his sustenance is like. This is what his provision is like. 
It, what did the psalmist say? That the, the, may the Lord's light be a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. And not, not, a, not a floodlight, not an LED beamer, but like just enough light to see the steps in front of you. And so the Lord also provides for us in that way. We pray it every Sunday. Give us this day. What? Today and tomorrow and next? No, no. Today's bread. And this is what Jesus is calling upon, remembering in the scriptures from Exodus 16. Trust in the provider, not in the provision. God will provide. Elsewhere, Jesus said he takes care of the birds of the air. He gives them nests. He clothes, he clothes the lilies of the field. He will also take care of you, Matthew 6. So now think about that when we pray that. Give us this day our daily bread. In other words, Lord, just give us what we need and we will be content. Another truly subversive content, uh, uh, concept in American life, that is for sure. Give us what we need and we will be content. For if we can accumulate more than we need, we will wander from you, stop trusting you, and stop living generously. That's because living any other way eats away at our faith, shrinks our capacity to be generous. It leads us to self-absorption, self-reliance, trapped in a cage of security that we've constructed, usually out of our own fears, which are often irrational, but not always. After all, we do live in a dangerous world. Just ask the priest and the Levite who passed by, the man who had been robbed, beaten, and left for dead in a well-known parable of Jesus. If you look at Luke chapter 10, we, we find a very well-known parable of Jesus. It's known as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Jesus tells a parable in response to the question. Remember, what must I do to, to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, love your Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then the question comes, what? Well, who is my neighbor, Jesus? And so in this parable, Jesus is answering this question. It's not just your Jewish neighbor, Jesus will say. It's everybody. Everybody is your neighbor, especially, especially your enemies especially the ones that you have a hard time loving, especially the ones that you might even despise, as they did Samaritans. But the Samaritan in Jesus' parable is the hero. You think about it. Two upstanding religious Jews walk past the man in need who's been beaten and left for dead on the road. But why do they do that? You know, I can believe that their, their um, reasons for doing that might have been noble. Right? I mean, they had, uh, they had an, uh, an important appointment to make. You know, maybe they had an appointment with one of their congregants. Maybe they had a, a, a dinner date to get to. And maybe they were also concerned about being unclean, and the law of Moses says stuff about that. Maybe that was why. But I want to submit to you and ask you to think about this. It very likely could have been they were concerned about their own security. In that day, if you happen to see someone in this situation, it could be a trap. I'm thinking of dystopian movies lately. Do you ever see the movie Book of Eli? You ever see that movie? 
Somebody tries to set a trap for Denzel Washington's character. Make them look like they're lame and they need help. So they'll stop to help and then out come all of the bad guys to beat you up and rob you. So this I think is also in play here. But it's the Samaritan that risks his safety and security to stop and help. And he then extends generosity by ensuring the man he has a place to stay and is on the road to recovery. Right? Even leaves there at the end some money for him to be fed, to be clothed, to be taken care of. And so Jesus wants not only to challenge our prejudices in this parable, that's for sure, but also to reveal to us that God is loving and thus God is generous. Generosity, folks, think about this, is in his nature. As John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave. He so loved the world that he gave, John tells us. Folks, when God gives, he sacrifices and he risks. Think about this. God's life is a generous life and we have been called into this God life because we were made in his image. Therefore, when we cling to our security, we're actually moving away from God's image. When we're only thinking about ourselves and maybe our security, but maybe also embedded within that is a desire for control. When we operate out of self-preservation or out of what others might think of us if we stopped to help, we forfeit God's life in us. You know, God doesn't just ask us to do hard things as if he likes to see us squirm or be in pain. God asks us to do tough things because he knows on the other side of the wilderness is the promised land. On the other side of the trial and tribulation is blessing. It's a way we grow. It's a way we deepen our faith. But we have to resist and be willing to resist our flesh in the process. Here are some other reasons to move from security to generosity in our faith. Think about some of these. Why generosity? Because generosity keeps us from placing ourselves at the center of our universe. Oh, yes, that's right. We think it's our universe. Generosity invites us to shift our security from what we can keep to what we can give. You've heard me say it before. I know it's terribly cliche, but you've never seen a hearse pulling a U-Haul. You can't take that stuff with you. You know, I'm actually kind of a little encouraged lately because um, you, you think about the top wealthy people in the world like Russian oligarchs. You don't normally have happy thoughts. And regardless of what you think of the guy, Elon Musk, who I think last time I checked was the richest man in the world, net worth about $250 billion. Maybe that's changed in the last couple months. But recently saw where he is, in some sense, liquidating a lot of his assets and getting rid of all of his stuff because he realizes it's not life-giving. Wants to leave a legacy. So regardless of what you think about it, getting to Mars to help humanity grow and, you know, what's the Star Trek thing. Is Trekkies in here? Boldly go. Boldly go, where no man's gone before. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Don't leave me hanging, folks. It also reminds me what Jim Carrey, the, the famous actor, once said, I wish everybody could be as rich as me and realize just how empty it is. I mean, I mean you know, it... 
it's not all it's cracked up to be, folks. It's actually dehumanizing. It eats away at the soul. God calls us to something different. So why generosity? Because generosity, it sensitizes us to the needs of others around us. It, it prompts us to help. We're given new eyes, a different way of seeing things. And we come into this life of God that way. Generosity teaches us that all we have is a gift from God. We're just stewards. We've been given it to steward it and to steward it well and to bless others through it. To be freely, openly sharing what God has give, given us with others. Generosity also teaches us that our security comes from God, not in the things of the world. And it also, it's because it's what God wired us for. It leads to greater mental and spiritual health. There's actually good science on this today. Some neurological studies that have been done. We see that, that human beings are wired for generosity. Now, yes, we're fallen, and so that is, often isn't the, the first impulse, but it's true. And, and obviously the fall has affected that, that desire to be generous. But if we can overcome it, if we can repent, if we can believe in the good news and, and receive the, the power of the Spirit to follow in the way of Jesus, we'll experience greater mental and spiritual health. Who doesn't want that? And here's the thing. Everybody can be generous. You don't have to have a big a bank account to be generous, right? It can be as simple as a smile. I once heard somebody say, if you're happy, inform your face. It can be as simple as a smile. It can be a phone call. It could be a note of thanks. It could be sharing what we have to eat, what we have to wear. It could be sharing a place to stay. It could be using our gifts and our talents to bless others. It might look like opening some time up in your schedule to be available to invest in those who need it or, or serving others in the church. And of course, generosity might mean releasing the financial resources that God has given you to help increase our ministry impact here at Grantham. And we do this so, so well as a church. If you, if you need to be reminded of that, just look at your bulletin where we are in our giving. Thank you, Grantham Church, for being generous in this way. So in times of uncertainty, think, think about this with me. In times of uncertainty and security concerns, we need to be generous now more than ever. The things of the world, the fears of the world, they often cause us to clam up, close up the wallet, keep our head down, and not be generous. But we need to resist our fears, resist our fallen impulse to hide and to hoard our gifts and resources. Instead, we must let go of any sense that our security is something that we can manufacture. Because, folks, that is an illusion. Rather, our security must come from grounding ourselves in faith by trusting in a good, generous God who can provide all our needs. And remember how the Apostle Paul described how the kingdom works and what the gospel looks like through our generosity? And how God calls us to give and why. Remember what he said, his second epistle to the Corinthian church in chapter 9, verse 6 through 8. He said, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each decide in your own heart how much to give. And don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure. 
For God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Right, the person that understands God's generous nature. And God will give generously and provide all you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. This is a beautiful kingdom principle of reaping what we sow. We see Paul talks about this in another place, like in Galatians. We reap what we sow. We sow a little, we get a little return. We sow a lot, we get a bountiful return of the kingdom. And God doesn't desire that you give out of compulsion or obligation. Notice this, he's telling the Corinthian church, giving money or otherwise should not be set also according to law or rule. So I give my 10%, isn't that what the Bible says? The New Testament principle here is giving generously what God has called you to give. Maybe you can do more. Think about this. God generously provides for us and wants us to share in his life, which at the core is love. So money, folks, or acts of kindness, it's love that counts. Don't miss this. Don't miss this, folks. God wants more than anything. This is what he wants. It's for you to know the life and the freedom that comes from sharing in his very nature and character. Church, hear me. You, you, you might be generous with your service and your money, but if you're not generous with your love, if you're not generous with your mercy and extending grace, and yes, sometimes a smile instead of the sad sack face, if you're not generous with these things, love, mercy, grace, and forgiveness to others, then you might be helping others in some material way, but you are hurting yourself, and you're hurting the body of Christ. And chances are others have noticed, <laughs> just ask, they probably notice you're a grumpy, critical, unforgiving, unloving, charitable giver. And if that's the case, one must wonder for what reason we are doing our charitable works to begin with. We all remember Jesus' words to the Pharisees for that sort of thing. Let us not follow in their way, but let us embrace the higher, blessed way of our loving Father. Amen. Give generously with your time, with your money, with your talents, with your love, with your mercy, and with your grace. And trust in the power of love and mercy and grace to change the world over anything else you could do. Remember what the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church about love. 1 Corinthians 13, verse 3. Not just a passage to be read at weddings. Mm -mm. Paul said, if I give everything I own to the poor and even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say or what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. This is the way of the Lord. Finally, to help us reflect on what we've heard and respond to the Spirit's leading. And hopefully in the messages, you're, you're always experiencing a, a, a mixture of, 
of encouragement, of inspiration, but also of challenge and maybe some conviction from the Holy Spirit. If you're, if you're feeling that, we're on the right track. Amen. So let's listen to the Spirit and what the Spirit is saying to us. I'll give us a brief moment as we look at these questions, after we look at them, to talk with the Lord together. Number one, in what areas of life do you need to move from wanting safety, security, and control to living generously like Jesus? Think about that. Number two, how is the Spirit inviting you to repent and trust God's ways over your own? What's the Lord saying to you? What's he bringing to your mind? And lastly, number three, will you respond to the Lord's voice by walking his path? and trusting in the way of love and generosity. Do this, folks, and see how the Lord will bless you. Amen. Let's enter now into a time of silence, of reflection, and of prayer. And then we'll close in prayer together. Let's do that. If you would look at this screen now in front of you, let's close together. If you would join me in this responsive prayer, I'll read one and you read the all. Your ways, O God, are higher than our ways. Your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We seek God's ways. Lord, move us from our ways of clinging to security to your ways of generous living. As we walk with Christ on this Lenten journey, let us see your way more clearly and follow your way more faithfully. Amen.